0: Welcome, this is Efrat Zabalovsky from Why you Connects, happy to introduce Candidate, a candid conversation about today's dating life with experienced guests. Our wonderful host this evening is Rabbi Shmuel Ismach, Rabbi of Young Israel of Great Neck and Rabbi in the Stone-Based Medrash program at Yeshiva University. This podcast is anonymously sponsored, Eloi Nishmas, Chano Chaim Ben Yaakov Hakohin and by the Slomo and Cindy Sylvian Foundation.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to Candidate, a candid conversation about dating and relationships with experts in the field. My name is Shmuel Ismach, Rabbi at the Young Israel of Greinach and Rebbe at the SBMP program at Yeshiva University, and I will be your host today. Uh, I'm with me. I'm very excited to present Dr. Eli Shapiro. He's a licensed clinical social worker with a doctorate in education, giving him an expertise in both mental health and educational issues facing communities. Today, he is a noted writer, thought leader, and sought-after speaker on social and communal issues. Dr. Shapiro is the creator of the Digital Citizenship Project, which gives him an expertise on the intersection between humanity and technology. And uh, first of all, hi, uh, Dr. Shapiro, how are you?
2: Good, Bar-Sim, How are
1: you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for joining us. So, this is really exciting because I feel like the entirety of human relationships, not just dating, but everything has changed so much with uh, these layers of technology, which we've added to all of our interactions, almost replaced uh, interactions with technology instead of. Uh, you know, just general interactions. So, I'm very curious what you have seen and what you have discovered and what you have to say about how this affects the process of dating, particularly in the initial stages of relationship. So, I guess, generally, like, what are the major issues as you uh, see them and the obstacles in connecting with somebody else when you're using technology in those first interactions?
2: Well, I think it's important to to note, and and you indicated, you know, we're living this whole new generation. Things are so different. Even even from, from 10 years ago, we have had a major shift in what the social norms are, what the expectations are. It wasn't too long ago that online and dating was a creepy thing, um, really not too long ago. And I was just speaking uh, the other night somewhere and we were discussing what it was like back in the '90s with AOL. I remember the dial-up on the 56k modems. Oh yeah, those- I, I used to be able to do
1: that sound. I used to be able to do that sound, but I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to do it today. On the yeah, on the- so
2: you'd get those discs, 99 free hours, and you'd get a list of phone numbers, and none of the phone numbers would work. And you'd finally get to a number that worked, but you wouldn't want to tell anyone in your neighborhood and then you'd like log on and someone would pick up the phone in your house and break the connection and everything we did with technology in the 90s it was so deliberative and so thoughtful and strategic you'd have to spend time saying okay I'm going to go online now I'm going to utilize technology and where we have come to and I think the watershed moment was 2007 when the iPhone came out the portability and ease at which we could access technology and engage with technology completely shifted and as a result of that shift and the ease at which we can access and utilize technology, a whole host of challenges came along with it. So when you think about it, off the bat, impulsivity is one of the big issues, and particularly in a relationship, in any relationship, in any communication, early stages, late stages, there's something about technology that promotes impulsivity that can create challenges in relationships. So number one is impulsivity. And we can talk more in depth about that. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, so, so what would be an example of, let's say, I meet a person and I'm going to say or do or uh, maybe like commit to something, which is just easier for me to do. Is that is that the issue that it's just easier to text words than to say them?
2: When I was a kid growing up, if a child, uh, if, I, if I was angry, and I, you know, I think kids across the board were told this. You know, if you're angry at someone, you write them a letter. And you put it in an envelope, you wait a week, and then by the time you're ready to send it, usually the issue has resolved itself. And so we had built in to the natural order of things a way of sort of postponing our impulsive responses and, and to avoid consequences. Uh, and today, when we're upset about something or we have a strong emotional reaction to something, what do we do? We text, we blog, we tweet, we comment, we message, all because we have that device in our hand. So similarly, in a relationship, in communication, and in the foundation of a relationship, something might come to mind, and we've already been conditioned to send that out, to communicate it, without thinking about the potential consequences. Uh, one study that I saw found that 57% of adults uh, reported uh, sending a text or a, a digital message of some sort, and and regretting it uh, within the last uh, three months, and 22% report doing so on a weekly basis. So when you think about quarter of all adults sending things in an impulsive way and regretting it. You know, in the early stages of dating, we we are looking at so many factors. Everything's under a microscope. So if we're going to be impulsive uh, with our communication with uh, you know a, a potential match it really can derail what could possibly be a good relationship just because of the very nature of impulsivity that uh, devices and digital communications promote.
1: I uh, I actually heard a different version of that letter. Um, When you are upset about something, I was told, write an email and say everything you need to say and then do one of two things. Either hit delete or put it into a folder called mistakes I almost made. You know, like that—that—that that, that was That's a the great idea. The, that was the that I got. Okay, so that is a uh, seems like. A by bit. the way,
2: I, by the way, the point—the point you're saying. By the way, we are more impulsive on portable devices than we are on computers. When you think about it, when you have to send an important email, you don't do it from your phone. You do it from a computer. You wait till you have Yishavadas, You're going to sit down. You're going to focus. And that really underscores that dynamic. There's something about the phone. That than the texting and the instant messaging that makes us more likely to shoot something off without thinking about the potential consequences. And there are so many potentially good relationships that get derailed because of it. Uh, and even if, if you're in an established relationship with friends, how many times do we respond something something quickly without really being thoughtful and deliberative about it? Um, you know, Again, back in the 90s, we were forced to be thoughtful and deliberative about everything we communicated. But today, uh, that challenge really, really does exist, and particularly in, in, the, in establishing a relationship.
1: Yeah, so I, I actually can think of uh, another element of this, the downside of impulsivity, that the mistakes that you make are actually you know, always retrievable. It's like there's no forgetting, there's screenshotting, and then the, the, the stakes are that much higher. You say something dumb, you can apologize, but when it's sort of like in a text chain, it's, tar- it's harder to erase that from someone's psyche when they can scroll up and see the entire conversation. So on, on the on the one hand, I guess impulsivity is very dangerous, clearly, when it comes to relationships. And uh, the things that you mistakenly say uh, could cause a lot of damage and when they're magnified upon, which is what we do. When we're dating, okay, so that's that's uh, that seems that seems rough. Okay, that's reason enough to try to minimize the type of interactions that you have, hopefully, to face-to-face and and uh, actually interactive communication. What what else is on your mind? Like, what else do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that what pairs uh, really naturally with impulsivity is is something called the online disinhibition effect, and this is something that psychologist John Seller identified probably as early as two thousand four, two thousand five that we are more likely to do or say something uh, in the digital realm or through a digital communication than we would in a face-to-face conversation. There's a certain degree of inhibition we have in face-to-face meetings and face-to-face conversations. But as a result of the perceived anonymity that the digital realm offers, it is significantly reduced. And and one of the ways to identify it is if you're supposed to have a difficult conversation with someone and you're sort of going back and forth whether to have that conversation, you say, all right, you know, maybe I'll just text them. You know, it'll, it'll be easier to just send the text. And that, the increased comfort with sending it through a digital communication rather than a face-to-face conversation uh, is really a result of that online disinhibition. And so, online disinhibition creates opportunity for, and when I say opportunity, it's really a negative opportunity for us to do or say things that we wouldn't normally do or say, uh, to behave in a way that we wouldn't normally increase. A, to advance a relationship in an artificial way um, that wouldn't advance in that way if it was in a face to face conversation. We need that process of slowly making oneself vulnerable within a relationship to create that connection. But the digital realm artificially advances that through disinhibition. You know, it's interesting, some of the early, uh, famous psychological studies, uh, Stanley Milgram, post-World War II, did the famous uh, electroshock studies, Um, but he was was looking at obedience, post-World War II obedience, and what he found was that people tended to be obedient towards supervisors, but he also found that when people were made to be anonymous, they delivered longer, stronger, even fatal shocks. So this idea of inhibition uh, and disinhibition as a result of anonymity is not a new concept, but the portability of electronic devices and, and, and cell phones makes that disinhibition a more frequent activity. And when you pair disinhibition with impulsivity and a relationship, the opportunity for things to go awry or become misguided, it's really fertile ground for such, such things to happen.
1: So it's interesting because it's not technically anonymity, right? I, I know who the person is. Uh, the person is uh, obviously identified on the, on the chat, on the text, whatever the communication method is. But you're saying that when there isn't the full, so to speak, full frontal experience with that other human being, people are able to express themselves in a way which they would not be able to in person. So as far as they're concerned, there's like a level of this is not really me. This is not. This is like. Yes.
2: Correct. There's there's pure anonymity. So pure anonymity is when you use like a fake screen name, like I, I see on, on some of the Jewish news websites, you know, Gadol Hador 13, and he's commenting on, on things. So that's obviously not his name, uh, nor, nor his title. But, you know, when you're using a fake screen name, uh, you're certainly more likely. But even if you're using your screen name, so if I were to send you an email from Ellie at Ellie Shapiro.com, it's clear who it is, but I'm still more likely to do or say something that I wouldn't do in a face-to-face conversation. There are so many variables that contribute to a sense of anonymity. So one of them is, is technology in the digital realm. But, you know, coming out of COVID, wearing masks, You know, I think a lot of the aggression that we've seen in situations with masks stem from a perceived anonymity as well. When you're driving a car, where does road rage stem from? There's a perceived anonymity because I'm in my car. That makes a difference as well. I I liken it to like, you know, when you're standing online at the supermarket, you know, or at Costco or something, the person in the row next to you sort of spaces out and, and a gap opens up between them and the person. You never steer your car right in and jump in front of them. You never steer the cart right in because that would just be socially off. But when you're in a car, it becomes okay because of that perceived anonymity. So, similarly, in the digital realm, we have that perceived anonymity and it really promotes behavior that is often inconsistent with our espoused values.
1: So you're saying it can go two ways. I can, let's say, be angrier uh, than I would be if I'd be out in the open with you. But also, can it go the other way where I'm overly emotional, overly expressive, more comfortable through text than I am? Uh, when I'm actually communicating with a person in real life, so they might have, uh, I might have more vulnerability through text than I have. I'm able to, con- con- you know, construct when I'm with you. So I, I guess yeah. that it points in both directions.
2: So it points in both directions, but n- neither one is great. It's really an artificial vulnerability that is being contributed to by the digital realm, as opposed to the natural development of vulnerability and relationship development. And, and technology is great for maintaining connections and relationships and, you know, maintaining them. But for building them, it's, it's not an ideal medium. In fact, uh, Simon Sinek talks about this uh, in his research in, in corporate America. That Nothing can replace that initial face-to-face meeting. You can't establish a meaningful relationship uh, in, in business or in any other format without that human face-to-face connection. It can be maintained and it can be built upon, but it's important to be aware that impulsivity and disinhibition are part and parcel with the digital relationship. And I think that awareness and self-regulation when it comes to technology uh, is an important part of it. And and a question fundamentally we have to ask ourselves uh, when we communicate through the digital realm. Um, Because it is a a tremendous convenience. Is this something I would say in a face-to-face conversation? And we have to ask ourselves that.
1: Where do you come out on Zoom? I mean, Zoom is like this new thing, and hopefully we forget it really quick. But I feel like to to some degree, it's going to be around in a variety of interactions. Is Zoom quite the same uh, type of technology that you're referring to? Or does the face-to-face lend to more accurate representations of who and what I am when I communicate?
2: So it's certainly better. And one of the areas that Zoom does address significantly is the miscommunication piece. You know, a Moravian, a researcher, identifies that 80% of communication is paraverbal. So it's it's really everything but the words. It's body language, it's the volume, it's the tone, it's the intonation, everything that goes along with communication with the exception of the words. And when we're communicating through texting or through social networking and all we have is the text, it really creates opportunity for miscommunication, misunderstanding and again in dating and relationships when everything's under a microscope and you know you're reading into everything what did the person mean what did the person say uh, how am i interpreting it it becomes a lot more difficult so with zoom you have the advantage of getting the full picture of what's happening communication wise you're getting a, a fuller picture uh, of that you know it's interesting just to prove that it's everything but the words I think all of us are guilty of this, where on, on Friday night, you know, after we wash for hamotzi, before we actually make the hamotzi, we have entire conversations without saying a single word, all with body language and, and different sort of news and uhs and and grunts and hand motions. So that's really 80% of communication. We can actually have full conversations. But when you're talking about the digital realm, when you're talking about just the text the impulsivity, the disinhibition, the miscommunication—it's amazing that anyone has a healthy, developed relationships when it comes to uh, the digital realm.
1: All right. So that—that's a third category, I guess. Miscommunication. We talked yeah. about impulsivity. We talked about disinhibition. So I guess miscommunication is another issue when it comes to chatting or that type of uh, digital communication. I mean, one of the benefits—I'm not sure if it's a benefit—but one of the benefits of emojis is sort of like the replacement of uh, i guess this is the visual that goes along with the statement so we don't quite have a sarcasm font i know a lot of people wish we did but we have like i could sort of intone what i'm trying to say through some sort of emoji does that
2: really do the job or not so much well i mean emojis are you know more helpful in in most cases than not having the emojis but people read emojis differently not everyone views the same crying Face, there's the one with the waterfall and the eyes. I, I don't know if that's a sad thing or a happy thing. I, I suppose it's in context, but I think people interpret uh, differently what the person is sending versus what the person who's receiving it, what they're seeing. We could both look at the same um, emoji and have different understandings of what it means. And so, again, in a relationship where where you know you're looking in uh, and and reading into uh, so much, an emoji can actually complicate things. I was speaking to a Khan a while back, and they told me a story of a couple that was engaged, and he sent her a uh, a text that said, uh, looking forward to seeing you later, and he put in some flowers, emojis of uh, different flowers. And for some reason, um, which I can't explain, but the platform he was sending it on and the platform she was receiving it on transposed the flowers into guns and knives. And now it read, can't wait to see you later with guns and knives. And she, you know, was ready to break the engagement. They did clear it up. Uh, maybe they are axe
1: throwing. I heard that's a thing now. Okay.
2: Yes. That's sort of a humorous uh, take on where miscommunication can happen with emojis. But, you know, similarly, if someone sends the blushing emoji, you know, someone can interpret it one way or the emoji with the hearts for eyes. One one person can ju- can send it meaning one thing and the other person can completely misinterpret that. So I think it does help in most cases, but nothing compares to uh, actual communication.
1: Right, right. I, I, for, for a long time, I was getting the two hands together and you know the two hands together. I'm doing this visually. Yes. Nobody on the on the air can can see me, but everybody knows what that one looks like. I thought it meant something else. Like I thought it meant uh, with deeper res- and abiding respect, and that was sort of how it closed. And then I realized it's sort of like a bow and thank you. Then I'm like, is that a religious thing? Right. Am I supposed to be sending that? Am I not, not supposed to be sending that? Yeah. So emojis, I guess, are not the the great salvation. So altogether, we have impulsivity, this inhibition. Uh, miscommunication, which which of course happens because there's not a single word that we write that can't be interpreted more than one way, and you really need to know the person. And uh, I think what's a great example: the, the word "whatever," right? The word "whatever" no. could be a completely dismissive. Uh, goodbye, like whatever. Or it could be sure, like whatever, totally chilled and totally relaxed. There's very, very, very little that we can objectively say we have in common when we're communicating through text that has not learned from experience. Okay. So, so that's, those are really great, um, I guess, caution signs and should probably push us away generally from doing too much communication through the medium, which isn't so great. Uh, and it isn't quite as communicative as we we think, it, or that it needs to be. Uh, is there any other area that, like you think, communication or communication through text specifically and social media that where, where that undermines the relationship process between you know men and women?
2: Well, you know, it is interesting that uh, men and women tend to utilize technology and social networking in, in particular for different purposes. You know, their their primary drives. On social networking and social media are different men tend to use technology for entertainment purposes uh, which is why you see uh, men use technology a lot more for for uh, watching videos and listening to music and and more utilitarian uh, type things Um, women tend to use technology for relationships and connectivity and so it's interesting when you look at social networks almost every social network uh, is predominantly, uh, is, is there's more women than men on social networks, with the exception of LinkedIn. LinkedIn has more men than women. And when you look at the fundamentals of LinkedIn, that's really, it's a business productivity tool, rather than compared with, let's say, Instagram or other, you know, uh, social networks uh, uh, that, that are more social in nature. And so when you tend to utilize the tool in a certain way, and someone else utilizes the tool in a different way, it can create confusion within the the relationship as well. So if a guy tends to use texting as a function of meeting or sharing information or getting together and not as a medium to advance a relationship, and he's talking to someone who tends to use a a technology as a medium to advance a relationship, the actions and the words and the the communication can be misinterpreted uh, by the other. And so it also it's important to keep that in mind that we approach technology differently. And so by basing it, uh, using it as the basis to establish a relationship, it, it can also lead to confusion within the relationship.
1: Oh, so that's really interesting. I never thought of that. the The you know, let's say one one of the people, as you put it, the the man might use this for short, terse and very quick communication. She might be more flowery and and I remember this actually coming up in a couple that I was dealing with where you know she would respond with some long and very meaningful text. Uh, saying what she felt and and really uh, would, would would go through everything and it would be let's, I don't a hundred word text and he'd respond with a three word. just sounds good (laughs) yeah sounds great like i'm in i'm in yeah i I agree completely Where, where whatever exactly whatever perfect and then and then what ends up happening is like there's a lot of resentment because you're not doing what i did and there's sort of like no mirroring in the relationship and you don't seem to be listening or responding the way that i reached out so you think that that actually might come from a fundamental way that the genders might look at the social media in general wow that is that is fascinating and definitely Something to think about. So, so altogether, I've been aggregating. So altogether, we have impulsivity, right? So we're gonna perhaps uh, do the wrong thing too quickly. It's it's too easy and very hard to take back. Uh, Disinhibition. We 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 seem to progress things way beyond where we would naturally, or maybe for the good and maybe for the bad. Um, Also, miscommunication. And now, maybe even we also deal differently with the actual technology. So, what are some best practices? Like, what 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 should daters do? Is it just a matter of conscientiousness? Should we be be more deliberate? What would you suggest?
2: I always get worried when people make categorical statements about anything, and so people say, you know, we'll say things like, "Oh, there shouldn't be any digital communication in dating." I mean, that's. That's not the world we live in, and we need to incorporate the many gifts and conveniences that we have in our lives in every aspect of our lives in, in, in a meaningful way. So I, I think what you're saying about being thoughtful and deliberative is critical. Some conversations are not supposed to be had in the digital realm. Anything that's really a, a meaningful and important conversation should be elevated in how we have that—that that it shouldn't be a digital communication. and, you know, and that's true. Some, that's true for yeah. non-daters also, right? Like that's true for 100%. Yeah, yeah. Look, even when we, let's just say in business or anything, what is going to be a text and what is going to be an email, right? We make a distinction. So if I'm sending a text, it's going to be more casual or the relationship that I have with this individual is casual enough. Again, I'm talking about business that I can send this text. For some people, it would be an email, even though the content might be of the same importance, but the the different relationship that I have with that individual, uh, the content would influence whether it's an email. So similarly, we also have to tell what is a face-to-face conversation versus a digital conversation. So we have to be thoughtful and deliberative with the who and the what. What should be a digital communication? What should be face-to-face? You know, it, it really needs to be balanced. Dig- relationships that are, are based predominantly on digital relationships, you know, again, it, it's often artificial. It creates feelings uh, through that disinhibition process that may or may not be there. And so it just it has to be balanced and thoughtful and, and strategic. And I think most importantly is to recognize, be able to recognize and self-regulate your own approach to technology by recognizing, I just got this text. I'm going to respond right away. Well, wait a minute. Take a breath. Think about it. How do I want to word this? And I think when it comes to digital communication because of miscommunication, it's critical that we perspective take on the text that we're putting down. In the, in the text, like, so if you're planning a date and uh, you say, okay, you know, uh, she says something along the lines of, I, I'm a gender stereotype here, so I apologize. But she says, I'm really looking forward to getting together. We're going to go out. And uh, so nice. Um, let's go to this restaurant. And then he responds, it's all booked, right? So now it may not have been, maybe she was hoping for something a little more flowery or more responsive, but as a male who tends to use uh, technology for uh, utilitarian purposes. He's responded, yes, uh, we're going to go out. Uh, it's all booked. Now, it can also be a, a miscommunication where she thinks that, oh, that restaurant's all booked, we can't go. And he meant it's all booked, like I took care of it, It's it's taken care of. So just in that simple interaction, we have that you know her demonstrating some degree of disinhibition and a gender stereotyped communication that is maybe more flowery, more relationship oriented, and uh, the miscommunication. He impulsively responds with an all booked, not matching her emotional needs of the communication, using language that may have been impulsive, and he didn't perspective take on how she might interpret it, and then creating a miscommunication. So now. In her mind, he's not that interested. The restaurant's all booked. And, you know, and in his mind, like he responded in a timely fashion and took care of things as as men sometimes like to do. So that, that, you know, that very simple interaction, we can see how many things can just go wrong with that. Again, it's not about not using technology for coordinating a data that's fine, but we need to be thoughtful and perspective take and make sure that we are on the same page, both in the communication piece, on the content piece, on the relationship piece, on what the expectations of the other might be. So, yes, we should use technology, but again, thoughtful and deliberative uh, practices.
1: Okay, that's really great. I have actually one last question for you. We've spoken about technology as a communicating tool uh, between between the couple, let's say. What about technology and the presence of technology on a date, right? You know, I know there's a lot of stuff about distraction. And the inability for people to focus just even when a phone is on the table, I think probably it's polite, you know, it's it's probably unacceptable in the middle of a date or definitely on an early day to take out your phone and to start, it's just rude. But to what extent is it not only rude, but it's actually difficult to create bonds. And, and it's just at a distraction level where I can't really connect with the person who's next to me. Hard to listen, hard to respond properly. Have you had any experience with that type of dynamic?
2: So I want to tell you a fascinating study. I, I quote this a lot. Uh, there was a study that was done by UCLA in 2014 where they measured middle schoolers' ability to read facial expressions and social cues. And middle school is really that age where you're really starting to internalize it. You may have like learned some of the basic eye contact, ear contact type stuff, uh, follow up question type stuff in the early ages, but middle school you're really starting to internalize it and engage. So they measured kids' ability to read facial expression and social cues. They got a baseline and then they sent them to sleepaway camp without any technology. And they measured them intermittently over the summer. And what they found was that after only five days without digital technology, their ability to read facial expressions and social cues and form meaningful connections vastly improved. Without just five days without technology. And so it teaches us two very important things. One is that digital technology has a negative impact on the quality of our social interactions. The quality is just, it's a diminished quality, no matter how you slice it. Uh, The other piece is that when we separate from technology, we can actually repair the damage caused by the technology in the quality of our social relationships. And so every audience I've ever asked this to, when do you connect best with your family, with your children, with your friends? When is that? And invariably, Shabbos. 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 Everyone says Shabbos. Why is that? You don't have that technology distraction. So with that understanding that technology serves as a fundamental distraction towards connectivity between people to utilize technology on a date, you are just creating a barrier to establishing and developing a relationship. So if you're asking, yeah, I'm not for it. I don't, I don't think people should have devices out on dates. Aside from like the rude factor, someone's talking, you're distracted. If you want the relationship to develop in a meaningful way, and the, the studies have been replicated on this numerous times, you for yourself, forget being rude. For yourself, if you want that relationship to to flourish in a meaningful way, then the the technology has to be put away for the date.
1: Oh boy! Uh, yeah, I should put it away uh, more than that, uh, and I'm not even dating anymore. Yeah, that, that's a, that's great, muster. That five day thing is like I wonder to what extent that could be reprogrammed at this point. Uh, this has been really great. Well, just,
2: I mean, just think about just think about Shabbat in my own home. I haven't dated in many years. Uh, in my own home, we do something called going dark for dinner, where just like for 15 minutes at dinner time, when everyone's around the table, if we can coordinate, there's no technology. And it just makes all the difference in funny about your children's day or your spouse's day, and and just that even if it's only 15 minutes of focus. Now on a date, it shouldn't just be 15 minutes of focus, but the idea is we do have the opportunity to incorporate that into our lives, bringing Shabbos into the weekday in in a sense, and really experiencing our relationships at in a higher quality fashion, in a higher level, and so putting the devices away uh, temporarily.
1: Wow, that, that's a great, a great vert. Uh, we try to bring Shabbos into our week. Okay, that's great. You can use that, uh, and I will <laughs> definitely, I will definitely be using that as well. All right, Doctor Shapiro, this has been, been really, really, extremely uh, thought provoking, and uh, I, I, I think I hope, uh, I hope to go home and take a lot of these principles with me and the interactions that I have with my congregants, with people, and so this is for daters for sure who are attempting to create and forge relationships for the very first time. Uh, very, very important information. So thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure thank to you. have you. Of course, of course. Thank you to all our listeners who have tuned in. Uh, have a great day and enjoy.
0: Thank you to our gracious host and guests this evening. Please email us at yuconnects at yu.edu to suggest future dating, and relationship-building topics, and guests for your enjoyment. Candidate at YU Connects.